This episode of Pomcast is sponsored by Pearl Soho. Since 2002, Pearl Soho has inspired knitters around the world with their fresh approach to traditional needlecrafts. They're known for their spectacular colour, natural fibres and approachable patterns. They love to knit as much as we do. At pearlsoho.com, you can find tons of free patterns. They're really great. I've definitely knit several of them. Uh, And there's tutorials as well. And you'll also find all the supplies you need to cast on. Here at Pom Pom, we especially love Pearl's gorgeous selection of yarns. And in our winter 2021 issue, Adela Dutra used Pearl Soho's worsted twist for her very striking pink noise pullover. An absolutely beautiful 100% merino wool. It's fair trade certified and meets the rigorous responsible wool standard. A progressive approach to holistic animal welfare and land management that allows for complete traceability from farmer to mill. And we love that. We do love that. And you know what else we love? We love that Pearl Soho is offering our listeners a 15% discount off their next order of Pearl Soho brand yarn, fabric or notions. Just enter the code POMCASTFEB at checkout. So you need to go to pearlsoho.com, use the code P-O-M-C-A-S-T-F-E-B when placing your order, and hey, that's 15% off, it's that easy. Just note that this offer can't be combined with any of the discounts. I mean, that seems fair, Lydia. Seems more than fair. In fact, I think I will be using this discount. Nice. On to the podcast. Hi and Happy New Year! Welcome back to POMCAST, the podcast produced by Pom Pom Quarterly. I'm Sophie Heathscott and I'm joined with Lydia Gluck. Hi! Hi Soph, how you doing? I'm good, welcome back. Does it feel good to be back in the podcast groove? It really does and as it happens it's a beautiful sunny day here in Norwich. Got the weather report ready. Nice. The book I'm reading at the moment, they give a metaphor whether two types of people there's people who are weather forecasters they're the planners right they see the weather coming and other people are the weather they are just the wind and they just come in and do their thing <laughs> Ooh, which do you feel like you are i don't know i feel maybe i'm a weather forecaster i don't know i feel like you're pretty good at planning mm-hmm. overall i would say that but either way i'm enjoying starting the recording of this episode and also 2022 with some nice sunshine although it is brisk and it has been very windy additional weather information there for everyone (laughs) so yes we're back we hope you are well and uh looking after yourselves we're back with the next uh, season of the pomcast and we're starting this episode with an interview We are indeed. So for this episode, our first one back, as we've said, we are interviewing the wonderful Lydia Morrow. Another Lydia, I hear you say. Whoa. Uh, But yes, so Lydia Morrow um, is possibly known to you as What Lydia Made on Instagram. And she also has worked with us. She directed the uh, photo shoot and modelled in the shoot for our um, winter issue of last year. That was issue number 39. And we had a really wonderful chat with her, which um, was recorded before we recorded this intro. So we already know how great it is. Yeah, it was a real joy to talk to Lydia um, all about her her textile work, her views on creativity and making. Um, it's a real uh, it's a real treat to speak to someone so passionate and engaged with the. I was going to say the world of making, aren't we all? I hope we are. <laughs> I hope listening, you are. Uh, but if not. <laughs> 
why not uh, dive into Lydia's world for a little bit? We're so pleased to have her on the podcast. Absolutely. So pleased to work with her through Pom Pom and to have her wonderful voice on this podcast joining ours. Um, yeah, so I guess without too much further ado, we should hand over to past Lydia and Sophie and Lydia Morrow. Well, hi and welcome, Pomcats. Here we are chatting to another Lydia. How great to double up on a Lydia. We have Lydia Morrow as our guest on the podcast today. Hi, Lydia. Hi. It's nice to speak with you. Uh, and of course, we have Lydia Gluck. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Your regular regular Lydia is here. <laughs> Special guest Lydia also here. Yeah. If I'm asking a question, it's uh, it's to Lydia Morrow. <laughs> I mean, the two Lydia voices are very different, so I think we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. They're probably more different than mine and Sophie's voices, so hopefully yeah. it'll be. <laughs> it's cool. We're interchangeable. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always like to say with... Uh, we also start with a little intro and we'd like you to, to introduce yourself, Lydia, to the Pomcats. Uh, sort of who you are, what you do, the elevator pitch of your life and work. Uh, what do you tell people? So obviously I'm Lydia Morrow, as you said, but most people tend to know of me as what Lydia made. I'm like always really... Uh... <laughs> it's like there's so much like messed up capitalist stuff wrapped up in the word influencer but like I that's like a lot of my job is kind of like knit related or like ethical fashion related influencing like styling um making I mean I would like to call myself a designer but people tend to refer to me as an influencer and I'm a bit like <laughs> but uh yeah I design things I make things I kind of am just all over the place doing whatever strikes my fancy at the time <laughs> when I was uh I, I I have to admit we googled we googled you before the show obviously <laughs> I kept seeing the term uh fashion clown yeah I do call myself a fashion clown quite a lot <laughs> what does that mean to you well I guess it's like there's something about being outside of like the size of most fashion that I end up like as much as it's like my special interest is like fashion and like what I wear and stuff like that, I don't follow fashion at all. <laughs> so like I have no, like if I were to say I was like a fashion person or in the fashion industry, that's like kind of inaccurate because I'm not really connected to it at all. Like maybe I would say I was in the ethical fashion industry a bit, but even then it's only such a small corner and I tend to not like follow or know much about what's going on in fashion that's not my size and my style which just becomes this really tiny little amount of the fashion world and I think that fashion clown kind of covers it because it looks weird and clowny but do you want to hear a funny story about it always yes I was like a really really early talker <laughs> and kind of creeped my parents out because I learned to talk when I was like one and like sentences and my parents would be like okay good night Lydia and I would go don't talk to Lydia talk to clown <laughs> and my mom was always like oh no <laughs> wow kids could be so creepy sometimes can't they <laughs> yeah I was adamant that my name was clown for quite a while and I'm like now I'm like I guess 
reclaim this. My style's kind of clowny. Maybe I am a clown. <laughs> it's kind of great that even at your very young age, you were like, I identify with clowns. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> me and clowns, like, we're on the same level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love that. I also, um, I think what you're saying about uh, kind of not feeling connected to the fashion industry, I feel like for a lot of my sort of time that I've been interested in clothes, I always kind of didn't really know how to express that because I was like, I just really like clothes, but I'm not really that interested in like fashion, which isn't to say that I'm not influenced by fashion because I feel like that would be just like untrue (laughs) to say that I like have never seen things, you know, out in the world and thought like, oh, that's nice. Um, But it's kind of, it's just like the joy of clothes being fun rather than following a kind of specific fashion route. Yeah, I'm always kind of surprised by how, prescriptive fashion becomes the more you get into like standard fashion kind of discourse I'm like oh it's a little bit boring now (laughs) yeah I feel that the word like adding the word clown onto fashion does make it fun right (laughs) yeah I don't even think I'm that into clowns like (laughs) (laughs) should we move away from the clowns now (laughs) I mean my grandma was a clown at one point so it's in the family (laughs) That's so nice. Maybe that's why you were so um, uh, sort of connected to clowns when you were little. Really? So my my grandma was a librarian, and when I was little, I was like really obsessed with being a librarian and was desperate to be a librarian. That was oh, like my whole. Was... I was like, that's all I want for my life is to stab books. <laughs> Absolutely, one of my dreams was I was like I can be a librarian and I can read all day and I can have all the books that I want. <laughs> I was going to say, just like making a knitting magazine, you can knit all day, you know. Yeah. I just wonder what the um, kids who want to be librarians to kids who knit pipeline or to adults who are in the knitting industry pipeline is like. <laughs> like, yeah, how many of us will like, I be a librarian? I pretty big. Like... <laughs> yeah, we should do an unofficial poll somewhere, shouldn't yeah. we? Yeah. Get some, we've got to get that data, that hard data yeah. on that. <laughs> um yeah so I mean obviously as Sophie said we um did a bit of googling of you for this um but also before we even worked with you you had caught our eye um on Instagram as what Lydia made and we've always been huge fans of everything that you've posted like all the color schemes and you've always got really interesting thoughtful things to say as well as like fun silly things to say and it's just always a really like a, a joy to um to be kind of keeping up to date with you and it was because of all those things that we um contacted you to collaborate with you on our issue 39 shoot so for the rhythm issue and we really enjoyed that collaboration but we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the process um for you kind of behind the scenes and how the shoot came together yeah (laughs) it's so hard like so kind of like weird getting over the embarrassment of just like sitting quietly while someone says really nice things about you. <laughs> I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, oh my gosh, oh my goodness. <laughs> this is very sweet. But I think I was feeling like the exact same way when you guys got in touch about that. I was like, now <laughs> you sent this email to the correct person, not like some other person who knows what they're doing. And you guys were like, no, definitely you. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> but it was so, it was so fun. 
I feel like I did a little bit of like what I a lot of the way that I end up working is so like immediate I feel like I had it in my head like almost instantaneously what like after I looked at the Pinterest board I was like oh my gosh I know what it is and I had all these friends like it's so cool it was so cool to get to work with like people who I've wanted to work with in my kind of like like secondhand and ethical fashion and like design community especially in Glasgow but like hadn't been able to work with or haven't been able to afford using their space yet or like things like that like it we did the shoot in my friend Laura's furniture warehouse and she's a she's a mid-century furniture salesperson so she curates uh, it's called Habib I should probably say that (laughs) (laughs) she curates um mid-century stuff and has this new like beautiful showroom with all of these little like vignettes set up because she's really skilled at just like almost set dressing to help people understand how the furniture would sit in their house and I was like this is the one it has to be this it'd be so perfect because the vibe of the knits was just like this I always think pom-pom hits this amazing halfway between like really traditional and really like cool and edgy not that I love traditional stuff but you know what I mean like and by cool I more mean like new and cutting edge and I think that way that the pom-pom patterns is like sitting right there in the center reminds me so much of like mid-century furniture because it like never goes out of style and it always has these like classic really traditional lines and like good craftsmanship and stuff but just like has this enduring coolness that you can't get away from. So anyway, (laughs) I could talk about. Thank thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, now I feel embarrassed because someone's saying nice things. So yeah, I thought we would do that. Uh, We had a kind of nightmare with um, the second model. I was like, had my heart set on her because she, she's a friend of a friend and was really nice and just, obviously incredibly beautiful (laughs) and then she got COVID and it was very stressful like oh my gosh is she gonna be able to do it but everything actually worked out really well and we got to do all of the styling for the whole thing with pieces borrowed from like uh ethical makers that I love like people who actually make their clothes in the UK as well um which I thought was just really fun and cool and obviously it's not like really obvious necessarily in the magazine like the styling is nice but you wouldn't know that everything was made in the UK and I just thought it was so cool to add that little extra bit of like more amazing craftsmanship that's happening here just to like double down on the cool cool handmade vibe (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah I don't know like what else would you like to know about that process is there I guess you were a model as well as sort of coordinating the shoot. What was that process like for you? Oh my gosh. There was definitely a, <laughs> a couple of moments where I was like, okay, <laughs> so I'm doing six jobs or something right now. <laughs> but um, I mean, you guys, at least Lydia will know, but uh, thankfully you guys were generous and understanding and let me hire somebody to help with 
with PAing on the day, which was like invaluable because it was, I think if I had been modeling and directing at the same time, I would have just had my head explode. But yeah, it was like, (laughs) we were shooting for winter in the middle of August. Uh, It was really hot. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've been there before. It's quite... um... Yeah, yeah. challenging. (laughs) Thankfully, the showroom had like a big garage door thing that came up completely open. So it was only like three walls. But definitely by the end of it, like after changing clothes so many times, I was just like, I am going to die. Um, And then something did die, which was all of the batteries that the photographer had. (laughs) But it was. What about that? Thankfully, we only had like a few more shots to do. And Laura obviously is a friend and she was so nice and was like, don't worry about it. Come back tomorrow and we'll start it out. And it was mostly just like the flat lays and the stills. And we were like, okay, we actually can do that without the whole team. (laughs) I think we took a few pictures of like the backs of some garments. And I was like, you don't have to see my face. It'll be fine. (laughs) And then... We did do one other stupid thing, which was we photographed a hat inside out. (laughs) Also have done that before. Uh, (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's so pretty on the inside though, that hat pattern. I really thought, I think it's because I folded up the brim and the rib looked the right way out. And I was like, yes, correct. Oh my goodness. It all came together. It was, it was a beautiful, fantastic end product so yeah we were delighted (laughs) yeah I'm so glad there was definitely like the chaos mode at the end when I was like shooting the hat in my girlfriend's flat like (laughs) this magazine had better look okay (laughs) but where we did it we made it I saw it in person the other day and my husband was really embarrassing and was like she creative directed that magazine and then the people who ran the yarn shop were like can we take a picture with you? And I was like, ah! Aww. <laughs> the magazine. I felt very, um, I felt very embarrassed, but then I was like, that was very sweet that he, that he told them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you threw away, threw around the world influencer earlier. That, that seems like influencer territory, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and no bad thing. I mean, why not? <laughs> so we talked to the beginning, we introduced yourself. You said, I'm a maker, I'm a designer. Um, I wanted to ask you why it's so important for you to make your own clothes and what is the benefit of making your own wardrobe that you don't think gets enough credit? I've been thinking about this and I think it's just like literally, I feel like right now there's a lot of talk about maybe like making your own wardrobe to avoid fast fashion making your wardrobe to like get a new skill or hobby you know and I I think like a little bit less of the you can literally make whatever you want is is like it's a little bit less talked about because I think also there's like so many so many better more interesting patterns available and like you can just like see something on Instagram and want to copy it or whatever but whenever I start making stuff I'm always just like I can make whatever I want, like literally whatever I want. I could put like the entire contents of my favorite book on a scarf and like just be able to wear that. And like, (laughs) um, I just remember when I 
the times when I have when I didn't really know how to make things I'm like oh I really want like when I was a kid and wanted to be a librarian I always wanted t-shirts that had like books on them instead of bands (laughs) I was like why can't I do that and I'm like now I could do that so easily I could make a little lino cut of of a book or get some transfer and make a t-shirt and I'm like oh it's so fun and so exciting but also like on a more serious note because I am a fat person like um there's because fashion for fat people is so limited it's kind of like there's a very clear like this is what fat people are allowed to wear (laughs) in a way that it isn't quite the same for like obviously we talked about fashion being fairly prescriptive no matter what size you are when you get into the cycle but if you have enough money and you're below a certain dress size you can kind of find most things Whereas if you're fat, it's like you could have thousands of pounds to blow and you would still have to get something custom made. And so having the capacity to do that yourself is really validating. I mean, sometimes it gets me down because I'm like, I can't have anything unless I make it myself, which becomes a kind of opposite burden. But I like never stop having ideas for new clothes that I want to make into this world. So (laughs) it's amazing to be able to make them myself. I'm so excited that I was able to learn knitting again. Like, oh, it's just, the scope is so incredible. (laughs) When you say learn again, is it sort of a craft that you've revisited then? Yeah, I I learned when I was like seven and I used to knit at school and stuff, but I like hate learning stuff what I call the right way like I just don't like to learn the right way and it really bothers me to have to like sit down and learn it so I was like I'm just gonna get really good at knitting scarves and squares and that's all I'm gonna do because I don't want to learn patterns and then I picked up patterns in like first year of art school and like wanted to throw a fit because it was so stressful to look at I was like I can't (laughs) this is so technical I'm not gonna look at this again and then I tried knitting and my hands were in so much pain and I was like no and then four years later I was like you know what I have been crocheting for six years and I cannot make the things that I want to make because it's just a different medium and I want to knit I'm going to see if there are ways that I can make knitting accessible to me and I have figured it out it's been about a year and I'm back into it and it's very exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. I was going to ask this sort of like tangential thing, but I feel when I, you said about the photo shoot and you were like instinctually, you're like, yep, yeah, that's the thing. I feel like from what I see from your Instagram, and I know it's Instagram, it's not real life, that your projects do seem kind of very instinctive and like, I'm going to make the thing and I'm just going to work it out as I go. Is that kind of your process? Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, I went to art school and it was like, (laughs) you're supposed to, like, because it's a very hard thing to grade, you know? Lydia, you're in art school right now, aren't you? I am, yes. And I still, you know, they give us uh, learning objectives and, you know, they obviously work really hard on trying to explain to us how they grade us, but it's still kind of a mystery to me. Really? (laughs) Yeah. But I think they're also, like, I remember my tutors just being like, you have to make a sketchbook just so that we can say that we saw that you had a process yes exactly. because we have yeah. to grade something and if we just look at it objectively and don't like it 
that's not a way like we don't have to like or be interested in your work for you to get a good grade here and I was like oh <laughs> so I used to always you do like, the thing of doing my... it backwards oh totally yeah doing my sketchbooks after I finished my pieces and I was like oh. and then I would get too bored and I would just like find a bunch of relevant books and put post-its in them and stick them out for assessment like I read these books here's the post-its please see that I did something but yeah I just think like learning in that way that like immediate way for me works so much better because I also like the more that I plan and the more that I do diagrams and like think about stuff the more overwhelmed I get and actually working it out as it goes is like more fun for me I'm trying to teach that to my kid he's like I did this drawing wrong so I'm gonna scribble over it and I'm like no the mistakes are part of the process and he's like no they're not he's four so yeah I feel like that um I I kind of I can relate to that like wanting to just start a thing when you've had the idea and that it's that kind of desire and joy like desire to make and joy in the process of making that drives the whole process and it is kind of amazing what you can make and learn if you like really want the end product yeah you know (laughs) yeah I think that's like that's like why I just can't do like like working and learning in the way of like making little samples like because I briefly in art school I did do like uh uh textiles induction into printing because I was allowed to but like I I was joining a group of textile students and they had these like folders full of samples and that was like all that they were making and maybe like I don't know. I'm, I wasn't a textile student, but it seemed, I think I, as far as I can remember, they were making like one actual product at the end of the term. And I was just like, how can you learn how to be a textile designer this way? Like, obviously you can, but I just think it it kind of sucks the joy out of it. <laughs> like, mm. It's one of those things, isn't it? Where it's like people have such different processes. Well, that's such, what I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, different ways of doing things. But I really relate to like, I, I find it very difficult to do things in a systematic way mm-hmm. and like to do that kind of sampling and I also did some inductions in various things in art school recently and I was just like you know in the dyeing um in the dye kitchens and dye workshops they're like if you're dying for industry if you're like developing a color for industry you need to have really precise uh, yeah. recipes right and that makes total sense but that's not what I'm doing so I was just like I don't want to uh, do it like yeah. that I just want to, I'm just making art so it doesn't matter I'm just going to mix up whatever colors and like I remember one of the technicians was like oh so what are you working on today I was like um I'm dyeing the colors of what it feels like to swim in a river and she was like okay mm. <laughs> like she was really nice about it she was just like oh okay cool and I was like yes I sound ridiculous <laughs> That's that school, baby. Yeah, I know. It's like, I've arrived. So, but it's like, yeah, it is about, like, because I think the way that I talk about it, I'm so, like, bemused that it sounds like I'm putting it down. I'm just like, I didn't, I didn't even know people could learn that way. (laughs) So, like, not how I, how I function, but I come from a family that's, like, every single person has a different sort of neurodivergence. So, it's a, I'm aware that, <laughs> acutely aware that we all uh, learn and process things in almost the opposite ways sometimes. It's just really funny. Um, but I just love, 
I love jumping in headfirst into projects. My new rule, I wrote a blog post about this the other day. <laughs> my new my new rule is like, I am allowed to start any project that I want. And there's absolutely no, no pressure to finish any project. And I can start them whenever I want. But I have to review like monthly and unravel all the projects that I'm not going to finish. And that makes me like, it keeps me like I'm always inspired. And I never have that like, oh, I have to finish this thing that I hate. And then when you're unraveling the work, even though it's kind of sad, you're already so inspired about a different project. <laughs> and you suddenly get this yarn back and you're like, oh my gosh, I have so many ideas for this yarn, a different idea. And the pressure is off. And that's like what has started really working for me. I mean, I have ADHD, so it's like a very, <laughs> very ADHD way of, of getting through. But yes, um, I've completely lost the thread. I've just... No, it's great. It sounds like a great way to motivate yourself, that kind of rule. Like, I've put the rule in myself, like, I have no works in progress at the end of the year or, like, one work in progress. But now I'm like, well, maybe I should just cancel on everything. <laughs> I think there's, like, a really... Obviously, like, in my life, I'm going through, like, as an adult, I'm 26, so I haven't been an adult for that long. And I'm totally going through the, like, process of, like you know, learning to draw my own lines where things are like kind of needlessly moralized. Mm -hmm. And I think in knitting that thing of like, you're only allowed to have one project and you have to finish everything you start is like one of those things that's just so needlessly moralized because people always don't finish their knitting projects for like a thousand million reasons. And then it's like this weight around people's necks and then it's years and they haven't unraveled the project and they have this guilt for no reason. And they have like a sweater's worth of amazing yarn they could use for something else. And you're just like, this is not helping people. Like, obviously it doesn't need to be this like manic process like me, but like <laughs> on the smaller scale, the idea of like forcing yourself to have to finish every project and like not work on too many at once is like, I'm like, that's not that's fine for some people. It's not a moral, it's not a moral failing if you can't do that. But I don't see a lot of people talking like that about it. And it's interesting. Maybe it's a whole other discussion for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, I felt for I, me, there was things that were sad that I was like, this is sad. I need to like, let it go now and get it unraveled. And that was more like, yeah, yeah. you say freeing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fraught subject. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, there's like a, I don't know, I probably got this on, on a different podcast. There's like a concept in, I think, in economics theory called sunk costs, mm -hmm. where like if you feel like you've sunk, you know, like maybe you bought some yeah. like gig tickets and then on the day you're like, I actually don't want to go, but because I've spent the money, I feel like I have to. Right. And it's like, regardless of whether you go, you've sunk, that cost is sunk. So you should probably just do mm -hmm. whatever you want. <laughs> it's that kind of like, <laughs> you just, just, and it's like, yeah, so you knit half the jumper. So then you feel like you have to finish it because you've sunk that time and energy into it. But actually, knitting the second half, if you don't want to, it's not, that's like, doesn't, you don't have to spend your time like that just because you feel like you started the thing. And I think it's quite a useful yeah. way to just be like, yeah, I've changed my mind and that's fine. Changing your mind is like a really healthy, like normal thing to do. I mean, yeah. And also like, 
like you say, it's not, there's no reason for it to be a moral thing like whether or not you finish a like pair of socks <laughs> yeah if it Change- feels right then yeah, yeah. If it feels the right choice for you then yeah changing your mind is another of those things though isn't it like that is needlessly moralized it's like yeah but you said you were going to do this and it's like obviously like if you're letting a lot of people down and stuff like that that's kind of a different thing but also you don't have to do everything that you've ever said you'll do but um yes I love giving up on projects now. This is my new thing. <laughs> this this last six months since I let myself do this, I love, I love unraveling, and it's so weird. But also, it's that thing of learning in an atypical way, and everybody can learn it in that way. Like everyone learns by making half a jumper, and thinking of it as time spent learning, and like building new skills, is totally like you can just be like, okay, that's my old maths daughter, but in jumper form do I really want to keep that and like make sure I finish every problem in my old math chatter not really <laughs> um this is kind of a weird metaphor but you know what I mean <laughs> I it. yeah, it's good oh boy <laughs> So you mentioned that when you uh, picked knitting back up again as an adult, you um, were experiencing pain in your hands and that you found a way to kind of work around that so that you could make the things you wanted to make. And we wondered if you had any top tips um, for people who can't knit or crochet for long periods of time due to pain or or disability um, and any top tips for picking yarns or patterns for people with sensory issues. Yeah, um yeah. So I'll just talk through the adjustments that I made. So the biggest one, I think, like I had never knitted anything in the round. So that's like, I just hadn't any experience with round needles. So obviously this is not really relevant to people who already use round needles and struggle. But like the change from a flat needle to a round needle was revolutionary for me because like I always work flat on round needles now because it like it distributes the weight so much so if you have issues like a lot of my issues are majority in my wrists and with the round needle I can kind of rest it on my tummy well also maybe this is like the one instance in the world of fat privilege (laughs) I have a nice little knitting shelf built in (laughs) but uh yeah, like the weight is distributed in the center and you can kind of rest it on your body rather than having it all out. Like when a piece is on one needle and out at the end of the needle, it's just so much unnecessary strain because you can just use a round needle. And then I kind of like, and obviously these tips are only for somebody who's has kind of the same process as me because obviously people with completely different needs. But like I knit previously with a sort of like tight to medium gauge and everyone has their different ways but really like changing your gauge is kind of like learning how to knit again (laughs) and I kind of just I like worked really really hard on becoming a loose knitter (laughs) which has helped so much because adjusting from like when you're a tight knitter there's tension on your hands all the time and it's a lot of pulling and a lot of pushing and loosening the gauge obviously gives you this like fluidity with your motion that's so much easier 
Um, and then, uh, when I was going through that, because it's so hard when you're used to knitting fairly tight, like to not let everything fall off your needles. I was also using like square needles for arthritis and stuff. Um, and they like, now I don't actually use them. I just make sure I have good quality needles, but, um, they help they helped the stitches like stay on a little better and like making that adjustment without like, usually if you're rechanging, changing the way you knit, you're also really tense because you're worried things are going to mess up. And having those kinds of needles really helped me like not be tense while I was trying to adjust this. This is so technical. <laughs> like, Sometimes it's the right audience for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, I have like completely banned in knitting. I've completely banned cheap needles. Like, because any kind of needle that the yarn is like having friction on or like there's like too much bend to it or things like that, it's just causes so much unnecessary strain. And I just like wouldn't, sometimes it's hard to prioritize that kind of thing, but I was like, these crappy needles are actually like hurting me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and it's like just being more intentional about that. Also, I have had to stop knitting with cotton because I've realized that's probably all, like cotton and straight needles, I think was like my main killers. <laughs> and I love cotton and I love how it feels, but it's just, there's just no give. And I had never really thought about it until I did a project with like acrylic for a client or something. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> I have knitted for so many hours and it's fine. What's happening right now? And I just realized like yarns that have like a built-in give just have so much more like relaxation capacity. And I think like for me, because I don't do great with scratchy wool, I number one was like never wool ever. I think I'm allergic to it, which I think I was just getting like eczema from being so bothered, <laughs> getting like sweaty and uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> just sweaty hands on wool is just like such a horrible combination. But, um, and then I was like, acrylic is bad for the environment and it's always uncomfortable because I think I had only experienced like, uh, whatchamacallit, like a scratchy secondhand acrylic yarn. And now I'm like, I guess there's just such an ongoing progress of learning to be intersectional and to be like, like, give yourself a break. <laughs> Where like, I mostly actually use like, kind of superwash merino, which is also not good for the environment. <laughs> and then uh, acrylic is actually like, such an accessible material for a lot of disabled people it's comfortable or it can be comfortable and it's soft and easy to use and stretchy and like not hard on the hands and I was just like I had completely discounted this in that kind of like way that we often are when we're not feeling super when we're not being when we have this tunnel vision towards our our field of activism where I was I'm like in ethical fashion and stuff like that and I'm like never use an unnatural fiber ever there's no there's no room for it and like now I'm like well 
that was like the plastic straws. Where is the accessibility in that? Like, <laughs> there are people who need this and there's a purpose for it. And like having an intersectional practice and uh, approach means recognizing the utility of all of the things and just figuring out what's like the appropriate use for them. So I think like, yeah, changing to stretchy fibers. If that's something that you feel like you need to do, audience, <laughs> give yourself a break. It's totally fine. <laughs> and, you know, like the incredible amount of effort that goes into making something for yourself and hand making, like, you know, that's not going to be a normal garment that gets thrown away on a landfill. It's not the same thing. And I think just giving, uh, I think, disabled makers because we often because we're like against our own will thrown into like <laughs> activism to you know exist <laughs> disabled and marginalized makers often find themselves in this immense immense amount of pressure to check every single box and it's just like having some grace for yourself <laughs> that like uh you're still you're allowed to have your own access needs. Um, but again, that was a little tangent. But in terms of sensory stuff, I would still always say cotton. I was like unbelievably surprised by um, like superwash merino. I just didn't believe it <laughs> when I was when I was inexperienced with wool. I was like, no, it's not. It can't be comfy. It's still wool. And then now I'm like, actually, no, it's great. Uh, but I also find like knitting projects like um, kind of like along the lines of like Jessie Mae's patterns and, and hers were some of the ones that I like really got into when I was first starting because they, well, number one, it's great if you don't have patience because they tend to use like a slightly wider gauge, like a thicker needle, thinner yarn, but that also makes them wearable. So finding patterns that have like, if you're using... Um, a wool yarn that you're like, this is on the edge for me. Making like a lightweight thing that's not super fitted that has a lot of like holes in it because of the gauge is just like so much easier to wear comparatively to like a really dense jumper because like I would still struggle with a really dense wool jumper, whereas a, a really lightweight one isn't going to have the same sensory impact. So hopefully that's helpful. Sorry, I kind of like droned on there. <laughs> this is what this is what we are here for. We're big ears waiting for this. Uh, I love also that you address the audience. I don't know if we've had, had anyone say that. Like, Listen, audience, here's the deal. And I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm always on. It's like, I feel like I'm always like, uh, turning around to the camera. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah, like just like fourth wall. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we talked about um your your sort of space that you have in ethical slash slow slash fat fashion what is it that you'd like to see more in that space <laughs> everything just more yeah. of it <laughs> <laughs> I think like I guess like what I was talking about is is true like I would like to see 
more intersectionality with it, like, and I guess, like, a lot of the spaces that I'm in are quite intersectional, but as soon as I kind of, like, that's quite a small number of, like, specific brands and, like, uh, organizations and stuff, and as soon as you step out of it, you get back into this, like, we're ethical because we've done this. And like, number one, I think people probably need to stop saying that they're ethical all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because it's like, I think, I think because of the pressure in the activism world to be perfect, which is hard to get away from and like, a very mixed bag, because of course you wish everyone was perfect like nobody what what is that perfect you know yeah an ideal of what that is anyway so people just yeah that's not achievable and like it puts this immense amount of pressure for people to like project that they're perfect and to like say because I made sensible for the environment and for people changes I'm ethical and it's like oh, yeah, I mean, there's a million ways you can be unethical and there's a million ways you can be ethical, like to put, to slap a, to slap a tag on it and say, I'm ethical, I'm responsible, you know, is is quite a lot. But I think that, that because from the like audience, there's the pressure, like, are you ethical then? Uh, Then there's like a pressure to say, yes, 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 I am. (laughs) And here's how. And I think like a little bit, a little less of that and a little more of like looking to find out how to actually be intersectional (laughs) um and like because like I see it a lot in like the ethical fashion for lack of a better word you know like community in Scotland there's a lot of people who say they're ethical and don't make fat sizes or would say I, this is an example I always like is, is saying that you're sustainable and not making plus sizes and I'm like okay sure but the human population is getting bigger and you're only making designs for like less than half of the human population is that sustainable how would you like <laughs> and you know you're probably overproducing for small sizes and not making anything for bigger sizes is that sustainable like those that's like a slightly different interpretation of the word but still like the overproduction of clothes for small sizes when there aren't clothes for big people is not a sustainable thing uh so I think just like seeing a little bit more of like a wider I guess it's like a wider perspective with like less of the pressure to say that you're perfect first thing into the thing I would just like to see a little bit more like humbleness and perspective from people I guess like having obviously the like this is very dangerous zone of the like we're still learning white lady vibe Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's not what I'm talking about but I do think like there is a like the acknowledgement that you're not perfect and that you are still learning not in a harmful way (laughs) is really important I think it's so hard I'm like you end up having to couch it in so many things, but these these bits of language that have been so important get co-opted in this way where you're like, 
the term I'm still learning to me, it makes my hackles go up now <laughs> because it's used as an excuse so often by people mm. who are just being like, I'm still learning so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> but it's actually like so useful and true. And I think maybe using those that kind of wording to yourself and actually listening to yourself instead of putting that out there in a way that ends up being harmful to people, reminding yourself, I'm still learning. I don't need to be perfect right now, but I need to try. I am still learning. I need to try to not see myself as this perfect person who knows better than everyone else is like so important. So I don't know. It's just this balance. It's so hard. And I think like I really hate the stuff that's like, ugh the left is over-policing itself, blah, 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 hyper-woke, whatever, where I'm like, okay, this is like on the edge of becoming racist. What are you doing? But <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. It's so hard because it is. there's just such a fine line. But I would like to see, I just see like a lot of like earth-centric, not people-centric dialogue that is like really progressive in certain ways but then like completely ignores the physical costs on people so anyway that really went 10 types of sideways but I think there's like some clear thread there <laughs> good. yeah thank you yeah definitely also I really like the phrase 10 types of sideways I might try and uh, <laughs> I might try and keep that I was thinking that I just that's a good one that's it's good. gonna be the news it's that, that gonna be a tagline for the podcast now. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah um so um not that long ago you posted on instagram a picture of a top that you had made and you had embroidered you and i earth onto it and i immediately recognized it because it has to be a good 10 years ago i saw that plate on display at the welcome collection Mm -hmm. i actually don't know whether that same like uh typography and wording is also elsewhere but i remember seeing it on a plate in the welcome collection and I don't remember what the ex- exhibition was but I remember just like absolutely loving it I have an old notebook that I like meticulously copied it out on the front of that I still have <laughs> and when I saw this um top that you've made I was just like oh my god I've never seen anyone else like who Raising like every, yeah yeah who, like, <laughs> who was like as into this like weird plate as me and it really <laughs> it was really exciting but all of this to say that you um you often use um like imagery and text on your clothing um and we wanted you to tell us a little bit about that uh relationship between imagery and text and how you use it on your clothing yeah okay um I actually think right like the reaction to that jumper well top kind of thing and the reaction like to the play as it like continuously circulates and recirculates around the internet is so visceral and I think it actually like that reaction specifically to that specific thing kind of explains a lot of why I like to use text in my clothes <laughs> I think like there's different ways to use text on clothing and some of them are a lot less effective than others but like I don't I sometimes very occasionally in lockdown wrote some poetry and I'm not necessarily like, it's not a thing that I 
am super confident about. Like I like doing it, but it's not my, it's not something I have a lot of practice or skill at, but I have like, there's words and phrases that kind of hit your heart and just make you feel something that isn't, it's not just a word, you know? <laughs> and I kind of like you like playing with these, like, it's, I guess the word is poignant, like words and phrases that have this like just really heavy hitting meaning as soon as you kind of think about it and you can tell that it's kind of not necessarily universal, but like has so many ways to be interpreted that it's going to really like touch someone's heart. <laughs> it's very sappy, but like, I'd like to use words. Like even I made a piece that just said, why do you want more? And like, to me, I was, I was taking some lyrics from a song because it was a commission based on a song, but I was like, this phrase is so, it's so much. It, it has so many feelings in it. Like, it's like, why do you want more? It feels like I, I'm, I'm so much and not enough or like what, like I, I'm giving so much or like, why do you want more of me? Why do you want more from me? Like, there's just so many elements and then it like people could interpret it as like capitalism or like, it's just like everybody can kind of relate to the feeling of not being enough and and so like phrases like that and like the you and I are earth like I actually think that play is supposed to say you and I are earths but it's worn out but I'm really interested in like in like fork folklore <laughs> in folklore in in folklore it's like legends about cutlery is it oh. yes yeah <laughs> you know it's it's got to be canonical or I'm not into it <laughs> um <laughs> Sorry, that was so stupid. <laughs> okay. It like folklore, like a lot of at least like British, well, most of the world, because like not everyone's been literate for a long time. A lot of our like folklore is an oral tradition. And so part of the reason, so I love using those words that are like, powerful and have a kind of like instant connection to people's hearts is lovely. And that, and and obviously, that in itself is powerful, and that's like a piece of art. You want a reaction, but I also really like the way like it relates back to our oral tradition, especially in like Scotland, of like the way that storytelling is like embellished and mixed in with like whatever the storyteller has found to be the most interesting part. Or they thought they could tell it better. So they've added their own little twist on the story. And like we have, you know, recorded probably like thousands of versions of each traditional folktale all over like the entire world. And they're almost the same story, but they've just been like adapted for different cultures or adapted for different storytellers than like whatever is the most interesting or important part or scary part to that person. They add their own meaning to it. And so I quite like, like, you know, you and I are earth. For me, some of that is about when I put that on a garment, a lot of that was about the garment. And like, I was thinking about like, um, 
the actual earth and like how the garment was made out of secondhand like polyester acrylic yarn and it would never go away and I would and and the the text on the garment was made out of wool and I was like me and this wool will become the earth and then this garment won't and it's just going to be here and that to me I was like oh oh my heart (laughs) it's so poignant and like weird and sad and like what is this like relationship that we have to this material and like how clothing is I I think about this I think it's like a philosophical term of like calling an object an actant because we think of objects as like without agency but they actually do quite a lot on their own (laughs) and and I can't remember what book it was from but there was this book that was talking about the example of like anything you throw in the bin and it was like, well, a piece of rubbish can become a home to a creature or it can become a polluter, like it gives off things or it becomes a different material as it changes or it melds with other material, like all kinds of materials in the dump become toxic waste together. <laughs> and none of that is in relation to you as a person or any person. It does this on its own. Like it's still an actant objects are not like passive little nonsense things they have a life of their own and I like the idea of like communicating with your clothes as an actant and and thinking of them as a part of the conversation not just something that you control but then obviously like you and I are earth like people feel that way that's community (laughs) other people can look at that and be like oh that's about me and my community or like that's about me and the person I love or, you know, that's like me and my inner dialogue. You know, there's so many other ways that it can be interpreted. So I like that because it also, to me, like vibes with this like neurodivergent way of processing that's kind of like chaotic and doesn't necessarily research everything thoroughly, but still like can take the feeling of one object and put it into another object. And that's still valid and it's still storytelling. And so like, I don't know, I like all those aspects of the art of putting text onto clothes. And I just think like putting text onto clothes, the thing I was saying about the actant versus like a passive object, like how much more powerful as an actant an object becomes when it has human words on it, what? Like (laughs) suddenly that object is able to tell that phrase to anyone who sees it without you needing to do it like I don't know to me uh, probably because I'm an art student at heart that is like oh so powerful my little heart is like oh it's still so exciting every time I talk about it (laughs) but maybe I'm just a little dork (laughs) we're all no I hear you we're all dorks I mean we're all excited about what you're talking about as well so (laughs) um actually that brings me around to sort of uh the last question we sort of like to ask our guests which is what are you excited about now it can be anything not craft related (laughs) but yeah just something that's like hyping you up right now that you love I'm always excited about things all the time I think this is like a lovely like being neurodivergent is not always very fun but my specific type comes with like quite a lot of excitement (laughs) and like even though I get bored of things very quickly 
the next thing is very exciting. So, but like, I guess specifically I'm working on, I'm working on my art practice again and not just making things like for the first time since my son was born four years ago, I really feel like I have the mental capacity to like do concepts and like think conceptually and have fun with that. So like I've been working on a project kind of folklore based with U.S. wool just to like make something cool with their wool because I think it's so cool that it's like Scottish sheep processed in Scotland, made into the wool, and then going back to a maker who lives in Scotland and to tell a Scottish story. Like, I just like the circularity of that loop. And then I'm writing my first knitting pattern right now, which I am excited about. (laughs) I am. (laughs) (laughs) It's just very overwhelming. But um, I'm learning how to do grading, which it's not something I like to do like technical stuff, but it is very exciting. And I'm really looking forward to like having that as a real skill. And I'm making a a stripy dress right now, which is also very exciting. Um, But yeah, there's so many exciting things that I could tell you about. But again, I would just be laying out like everything that's coming up. (laughs) (laughs) So I I could, I could probably stem it there. Mostly just the things I'm making. (laughs) They're yeah, good things to start with. Well, best of luck with all those projects. They are exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I guess before we round up, uh, we mentioned your Instagram, what Lydia made. If uh, people want to find out more about you and uh, gently stalk you in an authorised way, <laughs> where should they go? Oh, just my Instagram. I keep trying to have like a website and then failing. And then my computer died last week with my portfolio. So... It's all on Instagram. <laughs> I, I hold, I grasp on and pray for Instagram to stay supreme in terms of social media. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you can find me there. I'm sure like as soon as anybody follows me, they get like a huge dose of every personal thought I've ever had because that's how I use the stories. <laughs> so just to warn them. <laughs> well I feel like anyone who's listened to this podcast and got this far uh knows that your personal thoughts are extremely interesting and worth <laughs> listening to so I, that is nothing but enticing I would have thought thank you um that yeah it's been really fun chatting yeah, yeah thank likewise. you so much yeah thank you for having me <laughs> been our pleasure treat what a treat to talk to Lydia another Lydia (laughs) I used to be very opposed to other Lydias but I um I accept Lydia Morrow as an excellent Lydia and all future Lydias now also allowed oh well that's a relief that she passed uh, (laughs) the was the interview (laughs) (laughs) but yeah seriously it was so so wonderful to talk to her and um I think you can probably tell listening to that interview how much we enjoyed um everything she had to say and we hope that you enjoyed it too yeah just a reminder we have all the show notes uh so lots of beautiful photos about the work that Lydia was talking about are on the pom-pom blog so you can go check them out and of course you can check out all those photos and projects she was talking about on Lydia's Instagram which is what Lydia made um of course also the issue that Lydia worked on issue 39 
um, there'll be some of those pics on the blog as well. But of course, you can find it on our website and in all the usual pom-pom places. And that just leaves us to say that, of course, this episode was sponsored by Pearl Soho. And don't forget that you can get 15% off, which I would say is a pretty generous discount, off your next order at pearlsoho.com by entering the code POMCASTFEB. So that's P-O-M-C-A-S-T-F-E-B at checkout. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Paul Soho. Thank you, Lydia Morrow. And thank you, you guys, for listening. We're very pleased to have you back in the Pomcast space. Yes? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Shared space here. Well, take care, folks, and we'll see you next episode. Bye. Pomcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Heathscott, along with the team at Pom Pom Quarterly Magazine. You can buy your copy of the magazine and subscribe too at our online shop. That's pompommag.com forward slash shop. Big additional thanks this episode to Belinda Johnson, who helped us with the edit. And big thanks, as always, to Eli Block for creating the original music for this show and for being an essential part in creating this podcast. Thanks additionally to Portmanteau Music for the tracks we used in this episode. Thanks as always to Megan Fernandez, co-creator and editor of Pom Pom Quarterly. And a big thanks to the whole Pom Pom team. We love you and you make this podcast what it is. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and why not leave a review? Five stars, please. Thank you. Send any feedback or ideas to podcast at pompommag.com. And don't forget to keep in touch with us via the podcast group on the Pom Pom Ravelry Forum.